0: welcome to one more edition of politics and right my name is Egberto Willis we're here today with Will Moravitz He's, he's a professor of political science for Alamo Community College and Texas State University for three years he was a police officer for the city of San Marcos Texas having graduated top cadet from the basic training academy of the University of Texas at Austin he holds a master's of arts in political science from Texas State University and a PhD in public policy an admi- administration from Walden University. He is a native of Uvalde, Uvalde, as we say in Texas. Uvalde, yes, Texas. Welcome to Politics Done Right. William, how are you doing today, my friend?
1: I'm doing well, sir. Uh, thank you for uh, having me on. I appreciate it. Well, I don't know.
0: I don't know if you're going to want to be on because you're in da- in a dangerous spot, brother. I mean, you're an ex-cop. <laughs> well, you're still a cop or not a cop? I know you're No, I'm
1: a professor, yeah. I haven't been a cop okay, for a while, actually. Yeah, yeah. I no, I I was warned that, uh,
0: (laughs) no, actually, no, I I don't know what you were warned about, but actually, uh, we, we are pretty cool here. We like everybody here,
1: you know? Yeah. I I watched some of your, uh, your previous videos and saw it. And so I thought, thought it'd be a good time to come on.
0: Yeah. We're, we're, we're super fair here. Anyway, before we get started, tell me a little bit about yourself. What made you want to become a cop? What was intrinsic to you that said, ah, this is what I want to do.
1: Well, you know, growing up, I, I guess I had a, a little bit of a fascination with superheroes, and you can tell I've, I've passed that on to my mm-hmm. sons. Uh, just that, that helping people, that putting yourself at risk to help others, to just always being there. Um, but I really never thought about being a cop. Um, I was more uh, at times thinking more of the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, my my hearing is in my one ear and one of my ears has been bad since I was a little little child. So uh, the military wouldn't take me. Um, but it was after nine 11 is when I said, you know, okay, policing might be something i want to do just to give back to the community. So it was really, uh, that event, which I was let's see, 20, 22, just turned 23, I think. Uh, so it had a real big impact on me and, and, uh, that's when I went and did it. Unfortunately, um, uh, family issues, merit, being a cop doesn't very friendly to your, uh, to your mm-hmm. marriage, oftentimes, uh, as it is with all first responders, you know, firefighters, EMS, because the scheduling and just the things you see and things like that. Um, and my family is, you know, most of them are, are teachers themselves, uh, you know, my uncle, my mom, my dad, my sister. So I thought, okay, if I want to, if I want to have time for my sons, you know, after, after my divorce to, to be there whenever they needed me, if I had the same schedule, they do, it works out pretty well. <laughs> So that's, that's kind of how I ended up. Yeah, that's how I ended up in uh, in teaching.
0: Now, let me ask you this: What kind of cop were you? And you know what I mean. Were you one of those like tough cops that you wanted to show that you know oh, it's no. me, um, or were you kind of the? Because let me let me just tell you, I have I, I give cops a hard time because mm. a lot of times it's justified, but I have, mm. I have met very good cops as well. In mm. fact. I've written blogs on cops that have stopped me and given me such an attention that I've written the blog and gotten a, and gotten one of them a commendation because of the blog that I wrote on that particular right. cop. So for me, it's just about doing the right thing.
1: What kind of cop were you? Well, I was in my mid twenties, and I was—I I, I just describe it as I wanted to to help people, not to make their lives miserable right? So obviously, San Marcos is a college town. A lot of the stuff we dealt with was was college students drinking and doing stupid stuff. And, you know, I was pretty laid back. If you were respectful, I'd give you a warning. You know, I think I I ran the numbers on my traffic stops. I think I gave a ticket on like 12% of of all stops that I made. Um, I had one one college student say, man, you're a cool cop. I wish more cops were like you, you know, because I just, for me and, and I know a lot of officers out there would not agree with what I'm about to say, but for me, I I had a hard time at that age anyways, you know, putting charges on a kid for doing stuff I did in college, you know, and so as long as they're respectful, you know, and like, you know, if the party, hey, the party's really loud, your neighbors are calling, you know, shut it down, if I don't have to come back, you know, no ticket, Uh, but then of course you had the kids that were like, you know, screw you and all that kind of stuff, and at that point you're like, well, you know, my, my uh, grace is, is running thin. Um, but I was always taught by my department, um, my field trainers to be start off always professional, polite and professional with every single person you encounter and don't change unless they change. Right. And so some people as one of my old sergeants used to say, just, they don't understand anything, but cursing, you know, or, or like a stern voice. Uh, but I always started off, you know, yes, sir. You know, Mm -hmm. I been referring to you as yes, sir. That's just how I was raised. Everybody's yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. And, um, you know, even younger people than me. Um, and I just, I tried to, to be a, a good cop that that didn't just do his job, but that had integrity and, and made people, you know, re- kind of look at law enforcement, maybe, you know, in a more positive light. Because, uh, you know, when, when you're a cop, you never get called for anything good, right? Everything you do, uh, it's because someone's hurt, someone's needed a medical attention, you know, traffic accident, any of those things. And so, you know, it can get kind of jaded, um, for the officer, but for the people you're dealing with, you know, they may end up with a perception of cops or just a bunch of assholes or something like that. And I'd always try to go out of my way to, to just be, be who I am as a person, um, and, and let them see me for, for Will Moravitz, not just some, some white guy in a, in a cop uniform, uh, and when nine 11 happened, I was actually a youth minister at the time. So I, I never really had that kind of like forceful, you know, edginess to me, uh, when I was working
0: No, but I am sure, and, 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 you know, um, I'm sure that in hanging with a whole lot of other officers mm-hmm. that you did see that negative behavior, that one that said, you know, I, I'm, I'm a police officer, I'm in charge. I, you know, I'm just, this is just how I am. Did you see that?
1: Yeah, there was a couple people I worked with. Um, I worked night shift my whole career. So, you know, I, I really only got to know probably about 20 officers well um, out of the 87 that worked there at the time. There's a few that that they might start off professional, but they were very easy to to get upset, you know, like become the pissed off police officer. Um, And, and we, you know, we did have, unfortunately, you know, there, there's not a lot of cops have trouble um, with their marriage, not just because of uh, what they see and how it affects them, but, you know, especially in a college town, like San Marcos, there's a lot of temptation. Those college girls, they, they love a man in uniform. And I got propositioned many times on traffic stops from, from, you know, college students. And I was faithful to my now ex-wife and and never even considered it, but I knew, I knew some that did. Uh, And, you know, there was one officer that I worked with who, I don't know whatever happened to him, but he did get fired and arrested and fired for uh, having some sort of inappropriate contact with a, with a girl on a traffic stop. Um, But by and large, you know, these were fathers and and husbands and brothers, and and they all seemed to, uh, just about every single one of them I talked to got in it to help people. There's a there was a few that were like, well, it was the best paying job for my for what I was qualified for, things like that. Some some are like ex military that it's kind of a natural, just same similar culture. Uh, beyond that, I think you know there, there's definitely cop humor right? There's definitely, you know, and you find this with, with veterans of, of, uh, wars or, you know, even firefighters, first responders, they kind of have a dark sense of humor because laughter is how they deal with a lot of, a lot of the stuff you see. Um, but I would say out of the 87 cops I, I worked with and the 20 or so that I knew really well, and I knew a few from other agencies as well. I think they're all good people trying to do their best. Um, everybody makes mistakes, uh, You know, when cops make a mistake, unfortunately, that can cause injury or even death um, to themselves or to others. Uh, So there's a lot of scrutiny there. Um, But like when I teach my classes, I'm like, okay, you know, everybody makes mistakes. The difference between, let's say a cop and Tom Brady, right? Tom Brady, whether you love him or hate him, he's probably the greatest quarterback of all time, right? The GOAT. Does he throw interceptions? Did he lose games because of, yeah, of course he did. And, and no one studies harder. No one, you know, he's the most successful player, but when he throws an interception, unless it's the last play of the game or whatever, he he gets another chance to make it right. It's not so easy when you're a cop or a firefighter or something like that, that sometimes the mistakes you make um, do have bad consequences. It really can't be undone. Um, And that, that's a lot of, a lot of pressure, you know, when, when I was young, you know, i'll be be frank with you. i I thought officers, you know weren't all that smart, you know, in general. I mean, and and that perception existed at Texas State. a lot of those kids were like, like, uh, being a cop is what happens when you only have a high school diploma." And of course, my sergeant was like a master's degree holder in criminal justice and was like, <laughs> uh, no. Um, but what i what I found going through the academy, UT Austin supposedly has one of the toughest academic academies in the country. Um, My alma mater. Yeah, yeah, that's what I I looked at your bio, saw that. Um, Physically, it was it wasn't you know SAPD, Texas DPS, those are much more physically demanding. But academically, it was it was a lot, and the information wasn't necessarily hard to grasp. But I was amazed at the amount of information you had to know, and then you also had this this it's part of the job where not everything is is clear cut textbook, right? So you have to. It's called the totality of the circumstances. You have to factor in all of these different things. So, you know, for example, using force. I'm six foot one. When I was a cop, I was about 190 pounds. I was an athlete. Um, I was told, look, you're going to have to hold off on use of force longer than the female officer, because people will look at that. You're a, you're a, good, a decent sized man. You know, you, you should have been able to avoid escalating. Whereas a female officer, you know, five, six 120 pounds um, can use force and higher levels of force quicker when it comes to those situations. And you have to think about all that. And, you know, when you're first starting out, especially since I didn't live in San Marcos, Half the time I was just trying to make sure I knew where I was going when I got called, you know, what street is it, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so there's just a lot to know. Um, and I do think there's a problem in the police community um, where they don't get to do, they don't do enough. And this I was just on a podcast called three cops talk a couple of weeks ago. And they mentioned this, that they the profession in general hasn't done a really great job of, of trying to, to communicate um with with the people that they're they're sworn to protect and serve um and i think in addition to that there's a lot of there was and you know, it's been a while since i've been a cop but like we were trained to have friends that were not cops you know we're told that because if you if you're only in the cop world you start to see everything as us versus them because everybody you deal with is being accused of a crime or doing something wrong and that's why you're there uh, so it's really important, you know, to kind of have community ties that have nothing to do with your job. Uh, otherwise, you can get jaded, and and you know, it started to happen to me uh, before I left. And that's uh, where I want
0: to. Uh, when you talk about jaded, I want to stop you right here to ask. First of all, well, I wanted to ask something beforehand, but I want to do this first. Why did you write the Blue Divide?
1: Well, I wrote it because I wanted um, people to understand. How cops are trained, what the law says about use of force, uh, and what the, what the 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 academic data says um, about use of force specifically when it comes to deadly force uh, for Black Americans, because you know you you've seen the last eight years um, since 2014, Black Lives Matter becoming uh, part of the mainstream, and of course after George Floyd was murdered, you know Black Lives Matter had a, a profound impact not just here but in the entire world. Um, and, and I knew that, you know, obviously there are times when, you know, Chauvin went to prison and and he got what was coming to him. Um, you know, they, they say, there's a saying that nobody hates a bad cop more than a good cop. Uh, but some of the other cases, you know, I thought there was some misinformation out there. I thought there was misunderstanding about, uh, what cops are allowed to do. I would hear people say things like, well, why don't you shoot him in the knee? Uh, president Biden said about officer Reardon that shot and killed mckay bryant why didn't you shoot him in shoot her in the hand and you know we're not all bruce willis and die hard you know where we never miss and then we can shoot you know a thousand yards away or something like that um so i just wanted to kind of bridge that gap between people who who may not have the highest opinion of police and those that support them and specifically for communities of color because there, there's no doubt about it that the history of policing in America, especially in the South, um, is fraught with racism and injustices. Let me
0: let me um, I want to I want to correct that because, you know, I think the South get many too often a bad rap. I live in the South and I've, I've been stopped in the South and the North and elsewhere. And the truth of the matter is I the, the way I see it, caps are caps are caps. And when you have good ones, you have good ones. And when you have bad ones, you have bad ones. Now I'm I'm going to tell you out of I actually call several of the good ones bad ones because they allow the good one they allow the bad ones they turn their 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 eyes away from all the bad that the bad ones what they call the blue wall. They're complicit. Okay. Now. Yeah. Well.
1: I was referring to the South back, you know, Jim Crow and you know, mm-hmm. that era, mm-hmm. not, not necessarily today, um, the last right. 20, 30 years. I, what um, I just a lot wanted of things to do, that,
0: I was actually kind of sticking up a bit from, from a Southern caps because in, in a yeah. lot of ways I'm saying uh, that too often we have th- this racial thing. We, we want to make people believe like it is so much worse in the South. Mm-hmm. Some of my, some of my nicest racist friends are here in the South. <laughs> I, you know, we, we, we love each other. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, no, well, it, the, south, the
1: South of 2022 is not the South of 1954, right. you know. But,
0: but, but just, you know, but, but what I'm really trying to get at is this, um, Will. Um, and, and, and I didn't, I just kind of scanned your books. I, I didn't get to see some of the flavor of the book that I'm hoping an interview can get out. Okay. Um, do you not believe that, People of color do get a different type of treatment
1: from cops in the aggregate. Well, some of the studies I cited show that in lower levels of force, yes, mm-hmm. um, that that is true. When it comes to deadly force, though, uh, several of the studies I found actually showed either no discrepancy, or in some cases, in a, in a simulation type training that Washington State University did. Um, that cops were actually slightly more likely to shoot white people in situations. And when asked about it, these officers told the professors, um, and, and you can find the the study online um, that's referenced in my book. Um, they said that they were, they, they hesitated because they know how it looks when a, especially when a white cop shoots a black man or a black woman. Um, so I think in the last eight years, you know, because of Black Lives Matter and because of the the attention um, that the issue has drawn, I think in a lot of cases, cops are a little bit more hesitant to use deadly force uh, because they know that the scrutiny is going to come, even if it's justified. Um, But no, I I definitely, you know, the the use of force data does show that at lower levels of force, uh, specifically, you know, young black men are going to going to have more uh, i guess encounters of that nature um, than other people let me ask you a question um i i i, I do a lot of blogging and i blog the video
0: where there was this 14 year old black kid fighting with a uh 16 year old white kid or 17 year old white kid i don't remember which one the the white kid was the aggressor they're fighting in the mall two cops came they didn't use deadly force but they broke the fight Correct. up they put the white guy to sit and they threw the black guy down on the ground, sat down on him, put handcuffs on him. Um, I, I, I see videos in school and we see videos of white kids getting yes. arrested too. Don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to right, get right. it at all. But what I find difficult, and even let's say, say um, with, with yourself, I, I, I just find it hard for everyone not to see that there is a distinct difference in policing. Let me, let me, let me, t- let me point out something that you mentioned there that is, th- that's apropos. You said that they did a study at this university with the cops and when they drew, when they did this experiment, the cops drew their guns quicker at, on the white person than the black person. Let me tell you another study that I've, that I've done myself. I've done the study that says, who do you think is the criminal? And because I'm a smart dude and you're a smart dude, we both are longhorns, brother. Uh, (laughs) one um, One of the things I did for that test is I made sure to make it that I was in control of what was being tested. In other words, it was a test. We knew what the outcome was likely or wanted to be. And the test isn't really valid. And in other words, A lot of these control studies that that they want to make control studies are not appropriate. What you have to do is look at the empirical data out there, because that Mm -hmm. is what's happened without without you knowing that you're being tested for something.
1: Do you follow what I'm saying there? No, I understand. Yeah. And that was actually the only uh, data or empirical study that I used where that was simulated. Everything else was uh, looking at you know, CDC death reports, mm-hmm. uh, FBI uniform crime report, some government statistics, national victims, national crime victim I, and survey. Let me interrupt which, you one more time. Yes.
0: Sorry for that. I generally, you notice I don't, okay. inter, I don't interrupt a lot. I like my, my audience, my, my guests, because you are my guest. You're welcome here. Um, one of the things that that puzzled me as well is when you say that, um, you know, if you take a look at the FBI statistics, right? I always laugh at that, right? Because I live in Kingwood, Texas. I live in a lily-white neighborhood, okay? And in my, my daughter went to school and I, I never showed up my activism then because I didn't want her to have to deal with the effects of that. But right. in my community, when those kids go to the park behind my house and they get caught with beer bus, and all these things, including one guy who wrecked his father's Mercedes and the cop told him, hold on, when the person was trying to press charges, hold on a minute, and they went and do other things, Um, I see that these guys at the point of entry to the data that you read, in other words, the point of entry to that FBI data, is not the same if it were in my wife's community, which is a predominantly Black community on the other side of Houston, Right. Something happens there, they are into the system, their numbers are in. So if you then look at the FBI data that's in there, it says, whoa, the crime rate among young black men so much higher than white, white young men. And in my mm-hmm. community, the white young people are heavy on drugs because they can afford it. These right. guys, you know, so what I'm saying is, um, when I see these reports just in the raw, I want people to take it with a grain of salt. In fact, I would love for you to take it with a grain of salt when you're looking at those reports as well to be able to say, well, you know, huh, that's something to, that is something to think about because I know, I know the, the thing that I fear the most. I'm a professional. I'm an engineer. I'm a business owner. I have all these things. I have my own house, my own right. business. And you, when I see a cop, my heart's right here in my throat and I'm a grown man. Yeah. That's not accidental, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I, I I'm not trying to, to, no, no, no. To I would make that's what, we're having a conversation. what you're saying, but I, when I get pulled over today, I, I get pretty darn nervous. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you should, yeah. because
1: you wrote the blue divide. <laughs> yeah. um, But you know, I, one there's a little bit difference. I, I totally understand what, what where you're going with uh, with the crime reports. Um, there's a difference between like I didn't the book is not about drinking you know lower levels of force, mm-hmm. drugs, or anything. It's about deadly force. And so mm-hmm. when you look at the FBI uniform crime reports, the chances that a, a department is not going to report that they had to kill somebody, is extremely low Um, all right i know this because hold on
0: hold on hold on hold on i gotta challenge you there and let me tell you why i'm challenging you there okay when we had what's the name of when Chauvin killed uh killed a man that report didn't say he killed the man on the neck that report said and this is why i said bs in bs out that report said he died of accident or, or, or some sort of natural causes or something like that. If that young girl didn't have the video on so that other people would have seen it, that would have been classified in the FBI data, not as a murder, not as killing by force, but something else.
1: Well, Usually what they do is they, they refer to it as homicide, which mm-hmm. does not necessarily include murder Mm -hmm. it's true um, true. you're right yeah and but you see when you take the cdc for example Mm -hmm. their reports when you compare them side by side with the fbi crime reports on uh, deadly force uh they're they're very similar um the national crime victim survey has nothing to do with police right it's just surveying victims of crime and and they ask things like, okay, do you, do you know the race of the offender? Did you know their gender, you know, th- those kinds of things. Um, and the, the data is not exact, but it matches up fairly well with deadly force. I don't, I don't doubt that some departments are not going to, uh, sorry, we're getting, it looks like, sounds like we're getting hail outside of my house right now. Oh, <laughs> yeah, is, that,
0: is that hail out there in, in New Brunswick? Yeah. We were that supposed to have a really
1: big storm coming through. <laughs> my so, wife told me that. Yeah. Um, but uh, so my, my poor truck, I don't have a garage. So my poor truck is probably going to have to go to the shop.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no problem. So
1: you're, you're um, doing it but, even
0: in a storm. We're having
1: this conversation even during a storm. Yeah. But, you know, I do think that you're correct uh, in the sense that lower levels of, of crime don't often get reported, especially if you don't actually charge them. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so like technically minor in possession of alcohol. Right. That, that's a crime. But you may say, all right, just dump out the beer and go home, right? And so that wouldn't go into the report. right? And and I've done that before where I I gave these guys a break. They had some uh, very small amounts of marijuana on them. And I'm like, they obviously weren't high while they were driving. They just had it. I'm like, but let's go on camera. Let's dump out the marijuana on the street, and rub it with our feet, you know, and then you just go on your way with with a traffic violation, which is what Mm -hmm. pulled them over in the first place with. Um, departments, I worked for a good department. We, every time we used any force or a threat of force, we had to report it. Um, the leadership at my department was, was very good about training. That's not the case for every department, especially smaller departments. They don't have the budget. They don't have the thing. And, and another thing that, that we see is when you hire cops who have a bachelor's degree or higher, they tend to have fewer use of force complaints. They tend to have fewer complaints in general because the thought is going to college you, you're you don't I guess you're more enlightened is is probably the best way to put it. Um, you know, so yeah, I, I definitely agree that that on non-lethal crime that, that the numbers could be skewed because cops aren't necessarily going to charge this person while they may charge that person uh but i also think that a lot of cops are are understanding of of the the tension when i when i was a cop i started in 2004 um i'll never forget i pulled over this car at like three in the morning so it's you know Mm -hmm. very dark outside there's not it wasn't a well-lit area A residential place and and the guy ran a stop sign. So I pull him over and it's a college student. He's a young black man. And, uh, said, Hey, you know, this is why I stopped you and license and insurance and all that. And he was very respectful. And when I came back up, he said, sir, can I ask you a question? And I was like, yeah. He's like, did you pull me over because I'm black? Mm -hmm. And I was shocked at that. I was like, Oh crap. This is, you know, I knew this was going to happen eventually. Right. It was going to be that. And I was like, well, sir, it's like, it's three o'clock in the morning. I, I didn't know who was behind the wheel of the car because I can't see into your car. He's like, oh, that makes sense. And everything was fine. Um, and I just use that example as I was aware of how my actions towards people of color would be perceived. Um, not just because I'm white, but also because I'm a cop, right? So I think more understanding from police uh, in that context uh, would be beneficial is why I said, you know, when I did that podcast three cops talk they even said you know we haven't as a profession done a good enough job um you know and in san antonio there there are stories where the neighborhood cop comes by and plays basketball with the kids Mm -hmm. in the street and stuff like that where it's a white cop and black kids or mexican american kids or other hispanic groups um you know and i think that needs to be put out there more to realize that there there are people behind the badge sometimes they do bad things most of the time. They're just trying to, to do their job get home to their family. Uh, but I think we, we definitely need to punish those cops who, who abuse their their authority, um, whether that be in a, in a sense of you know, Derek Chauvin. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other three officers were uh, found guilty of uh, violating Floyd's civil rights uh, just last month, actually about three weeks ago. I, They're look- going to spend life in prison. I am I, I am
0: with you there, but it has to start somewhere, and it has. To, but I I also think it has to start with with a little bit of reflection, and that is that um I think cops, and by the way, this is not only white cops. I I really mean it because there's something about cops. When even black cops, I mean, there are certain black cops in mm-hmm. a black neighborhood that'll treat those those kids worse than some white mm-hmm. cops in that neighborhood. So so understand what I'm saying. My my thing is always right. to find solutions to issues and. There is, in fact, a problem with cops and the minority community, and I think I think folks have to, as opposed to looking at, let's say, the FBI numbers and all those kind of things, right? Which, I, yes, that has to be a part of the discussion. I think you have to also look at what people perceive and feel, which is something that I think you just said that pe- that that one of the problems mm-hmm. with the police officers is. They don't, you know, they don't communicate things are. But I also think we have to be honest to realize certain things, right? Um, Cops in general, and you tell me, I think we want to be honest. Mm -hmm. Because of what we put out there, because of the narrative, cops are generally more fearful of Black men.
1: Don't you agree with that? Well, I can't speak for others I, I not in you, aggregate you're let the me aggregate you. possibly you, yeah, you started I mean, out
0: you started out telling me you were in the ministry and all that, like, so you yeah. kind of have an idea of how to talk to people, but a lot of these right you're from Uvalde come on, you know there there are a lot of these folks in these different towns in 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 Texas or anywhere these little towns that you know they're fearful and more so of somebody who would look like me and i I, I just wish. Cops will just come out and say, you know, man, you know, I, I've had some of them tell me, by the way, my, I have relatives that are cops, you know, as well. And come out and say, yeah, th- that's the narrative. You know, their, their first instinct, it's like that, that thing that I showed where, where they attacked the black kid, threw the black kid mm-hmm. on the floor. I think we have to admit that that bias is ingrained. And I'm not trying to make it a good thing or a bad thing. I'm saying it's just a thing
1: yeah well
0: knowing a thing we can work on
1: not yeah i mean I, I would agree with that i mean not not having seen the video you're referencing to but i've seen other similar ones mm-hmm. one in mckinney texas from a few years ago where there's like a big pool party in one of those neighborhoods um i i think that well, let me just back up a little bit there one of the first parts the first part of my book is about the training because mm-hmm. i wanted my goal in writing this is to make things better between right. I know uh, black America and, and and policing, and you know I think what happens to your point is the perception, especially with appearance, or maybe the way someone talks. I'll be honest. I don't. I pulled over a black man in a BMW with a suit and tie. I didn't once, for a second, think he was ever going to be a threat. Right. I've pulled over white guys with wife beater shirts, the jeans, the, the heavy boots and that chain link with a thing and maybe some tattoos. And I think this might be, you know, a bad dude. Right. So I think that that honestly, I think, is part of it. And unfortunately, um, to your point, the the narrative around young black men often is that, oh, because your pants are down around your butt or, you know, you're wearing you know, a bandana around your neck or whatever the case may be that Mm -hmm. that somehow you're automatically, you know, kind of a bad dude. Um, and I I think that's unfair. You got to treat people. And I, my department was good about treat people how you want to be treated. Don't change that unless they're resisting. somehow. Mm -hmm. you know, don't get stern with them. If, if they're compliant, just treat them like you would your neighbor. Um, I think more of that needs to happen. Um, but I also want people to understand what the law and the training actually says, because you see this a lot with, well, the police shot him and and he was unarmed. Um, Sometimes that can be an unjustified police shoot. Sometimes it can be justified. Um, I write about this in my book after I left law enforcement. I spent four years uh, training mixed martial arts pretty heavily. And the first day I went in there, um, I I boxed a guy who had been boxing since he was, he was a kid. I could not lay a finger on him and he was just playing with me the whole time, you know, and, and after about 18 months, two years or so, I remember a a guy from the Marine Corps came in and I made him tap out because he couldn't touch me. And I was just punching him, not really hard, but I just kept peppering him with jabs and stuff because he didn't know how to fight. And I started to think about that. I was like, you take your average high school wrestler, male wrestler. I would say out of an average high school male wrestler, 90% of them, and I'm just guessing, but 90% of them could probably tackle a cop and take their gun because cops are not trained and usually are not trained. The ones that are have an advantage. Um, and, and I feel that's, that is another way that we could really address some of this problem. Because if you are in a fight with somebody and you know your ability and you know that you can survive on your back and you can get up after someone tackles you and stuff like that, you're much less likely to resort to weapons, right? Because you, and the officers that were doing MMA when I was a cop, before I started doing it, they they rarely used any kind of intermediate weapons. They were able to use wrestling or jujitsu or stuff to gain control without harming them, uh, the subject. Um, you know, and, and cops, I think it would be better for them, but they also have to realize that there's no background check to go to an MMA class, you know, and, and so there's some, some not so honest people that that work out there and they know how to fight really well. And maybe they don't, you know, have any qualms about going after a, a cop or trying to hurt them or, or what have you. Um, but, you know, I think that that's something that, that I wanted people to understand is all the different nuances that goes into when you make a use of force decision. I,
0: I want to say something before, because we're coming close to the end of the interview. and I want, By the okay. way, folks, I want you to get the book, because let me tell you why I want folks to get the book. Because there are certain little snippets in the book that I'd like folks to write to you about. You know, you know send, Hey, send Will Marvitz a, an email and say, Will, let's explain this a little bit more here. Um, but I think it's important because your point of view in as much as you want to do good, I know that you're a good person. I think there are some other points that need to be um, exposed there. Like, let, let's talk about uh, cops using force and deadly force. I think the laws are written all wrong. And why are the laws written all wrong? Because there are too many dead people. And I'm not only talking this, this on a color barrier at right. all. I'm talking about uh, he, uh, I, there is so much protection for the cop in, uh, when he shoots and well, even though the person did absolutely nothing wrong, because I had the feeling that he may or she may hurt me, I have the right to blow your head off. There are a lot of these laws that need to be rethought, right?
1: Well, and, and I've often told people, you may disagree with what the law says, you may disagree with how the training mm-hmm. works. Um, but I just want to explain what it is, because people generally don't know what the rules are. And that's good. Um, you know, and so it, yeah, if you want to have a discussion that we need to change some of the the laws surrounding use of force, then that we can have that discussion. Uh, I will say that if you go too far the other direction, mm-hmm. people aren't going to want to be cops anymore.
0: Well, you know, you know I, I, it, I, I so you I, got to have a
1: balance there.
0: I hear you. I hear you. But the thing about it is, most cops don't ever discharge their weapon. Most cops, right? Ever, you know, most again, most cops are. I, most cops really are good. I don't normally say that, but most cops really <laughs> are good. Uh, my, my, my family, I have a lot of family that are yeah. cops. They're really good. But too often, and, and one of them told me, he said, after I am retired, I'll tell you some stories. And my thing to my cousin was, my God, so you actually saw some stuff and didn't say anything. He said, I had a family to feed. Yes. You get the point. Yeah. So I mean, so I mean, there's there's a lot that needs changing, and I think somebody like you coming out and writing a book about it and putting it out there, I think it's a good thing. So folks, get the book, The Blue Divide: Policing and Race in America by Dr. Will Moravitz, former cop, now a professor at the several, at Texas State University, et cetera. Get get the book. And but I, I want to finish here this way. Right, well, I'm going to give you the same honor I give everybody else. What would you okay. have liked me to ask him? Please do it in a minute. What would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't?
1: Oh, gosh. Um,
0: if nothing, it's fine, too.
1: I, I, yeah, nothing really pops out um, to me. I think, you know, maybe asking about one of the cases that I discuss in the book is like the middle of the book is where I go through Eric Garner through, I think Makai Bryant was the most. Yeah, I, the I, saw, thing. I, I saw them in the. Yeah, the- and just looked at, looked at some of those high profile and again, if you read those chapters, you know that I, I don't shy away from criticizing the police when, mm-hmm. when I think it was warranted. Uh, and I think that's something that's starting to happen, that more people are, are realizing that they need to stop this blue wall of silence. Um, my department, like I said, was very good about that. When you stepped out of line, someone was there to pull you back. Um, but uh, in, in other cases, you know, I just think that you can disagree with the law. But based the on all law, law? that, that particular shooting was justified, right? Uh, that, that's what I wanted people to understand. Because I,
0: I don't know. if I didn't see this in your book, whether you said at any point that it is the law, but it's probably a law that needs to be changed.
1: I didn't really address that. No.
0: Right. Okay. So what, what I'm saying is I, I, I hope people would read and, and, and see when you say, well, the law says this is legal and we can say, well, you know what, that, that, that type of law puts my life in jeopardy whenever i am in front of a cop and let me tell you when i'm in yeah. front of a cop, i'm the the most civil person my hands are on <laughs> you see me stop you yeah. should read look for the article that i wrote about that cop who's who, who kind of smirked at me because i was so and i it's the one that got the commendation because of the blog i wrote yeah
1: i was so i'm always proper with these cops we'll right? see yeah i carry i carry a gun i have license to carry and i i have it when i drive there's a magnet right underneath my steering column mm-hmm. that's where i have it so if i when i get pulled over i'm like my hands are all the way on the dash and i first thing i say is <laughs> i have a license to carry if the gun's right here can you please remove it or can i please right. get out of the car you know that. there you go Hey, um, look, uh,
0: Will, I, I, I got to go. This has okay. been Will Morowitz is a professor of political science for Alamo Community Colleges and Texas State University. Look, it's been my honor to have you as a police officer, as a professor, as a PhD to speak to. I, I hope people will get your book and send you their, their comments about it, to, about what they feel. So thank you so kindly for having been on. Well, the I appreciate
1: podcast. it very much. I enjoyed it too.